Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is Reservations, and I'm Jeremy Blair. And I'm Rain Wayland. And if you're watching, you already know, but if you're listening, we have a very special guest today. Uh, please welcome Zach, our buddy. Good to be on, guys. Yes. Our, our most consistent listener. Yeah. We're only one. Anyway. <laughs> we did we'll see, now. Appreciate it. Um, Rain, you gave me some horrible news the other day, and that was a part of our statistics that people usually don't make it past three minutes. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> terrible yeah. news. That's horrible. Yeah, here, that's let, terrible me, let me see if I can... Uh, let me see if I can find Dog. that exact same statistic it's, um, again. It's not great, but, you know, at least someone's clicking on something <laughs> somewhere, you know? Um, and uh, we're not even, we, should be, more than two we should be more clickbaity. Maybe that's what we need. Um, like clickbait, like click, uh, clickbaity. Um, like, I don't know. Like thumbnails? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> Like rain, rain shirtless in one of them, and it's like, what's this about? You know. Well, you know, I was just about to say, you know, if this was like, you know, old school YouTube, like 2010 YouTube, just put like a woman in a bikini in the thumbnail, and boom, there you go. Yeah, and then it's Rickrolled, and then it's uh. Yeah, I mean, we will have rain in some sort of scandalous thing, and then they click on it, and it's just like, oh, it's Solaris. Is Tarkovsky? What are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No, it's um, no, it's Mirror Redux. It's Mirror. Yeah, we do Mirror again, which we should. Oh my god! That's dude. Right. I've I've made that same joke about OnlyFans, um, but then it's just like someone like reading, uh, like instruction manuals to you, like fully clothed. <laughs> you know like yeah. like i get in i get into this deep like all right so step 26 so, yeah subscribe 20 dollars yeah 20 dollars <laughs> <laughs> oh, no man. paywalls that's what's up you're a good person <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's 20 dollars a month yeah you're right you're right um Anyway, so really nothing. I had nothing this weekend that I that I watched or did or you know uh, nothing. Well, well that's nothing well that's not entirely too true, Jeremy. It's nothing significant. I mean, we had the nephews <laughs> this weekend, and we watched the Mario movie, and it yeah, was funny. You know. <laughs> I didn't hate it. It Fine. didn't, you know, didn't blow me oh, away. Okay. I mean, again, like what we were talking about off mic, it's it literally was made for someone that's like, hey, you played Mario before. Here you go. <laughs> that, that was the whole that was the whole movie. Yeah, honestly, it it reminded me how much I knew about Mario because I was watching, I'm like, I don't know anything about it. And then they're doing stuff. I go, oh, I know what that is. You know? Yeah. They, he gets his go kart. I go. Oh yeah, they they, they yeah, get the rainbow road. I go right. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, yeah, mm. 
god. Yeah. Um. Well, like like I said, supposedly the sequel is going to be uh, Luigi's Mansion, so that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. In and uh, five years, whenever they get back to work and we get stuff again. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. That's true. Especially. Yeah. Um. How how devastated were y'all about the news that um, Dune Part Two got delayed? It. Uh, yeah. I crushed me i yeah not a fan yeah i i almost <laughs> uh threw over uh ashley and i's coffee table because so i was like what do you what, i was like what do you mean <laughs> like what do you mean they're delaying dune part two uh and spider-man uh beyond the spider-verse i got delayed well that's because all those animators quit because of uh work conditions apparently which means our theory was wrong it wasn't animated and ready to go well okay so i think that you know the worse the work condition sometimes the better the product i mean plus i'm not condoning it <laughs> but i ordered those dvds yesterday and they're here today that's all i'm saying Okay. <laughs> oh my god. That's pretty cool. Holy Stop. shit. Uh, anyway. Oh my god. Alright. Um Jeremy, what are what are we doing today? Today uh we are wrapping up uh season eight. Yes, thank you. Uh we are wrapping up go. season eight. This is our end of season series, and we are finishing out uh this from stage to screen uh act two. Uh, with uh, the whale, such a banger to end this on, dude. Hey, man, it's chronological. It's not my fault. Uh, <laughs> design. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, so Zach, I usually ask Jeremy this, but um, what did you think the first time you ever saw the movie? So this actually was my first time to see it, which was last week. Um, so I, I uh, yeah, I got late to it. I just, it got pushed back and then other stuff came out. And so I guess I watched it maybe last Friday. Um, and I think overall I enjoyed it. I need another, I need another watch, uh, sure. to, I think kind of smooth out everything I think about it. Um, overall, I think it's, you know, uh, very, um, introspective, like it makes you think. Uh, I think there's some parts that were um, kind of like some dark humor. Some parts that were certainly um, made me feel like this is disgusting, um, and, and all those things. Definitely not afraid of like that part of the of the movie. But I, I think I enjoyed it. Um, maybe as we talk, we can help help me clear up what I think about it. Um, I think I, I lean similar. Uh, you know, Aronofsky's just one of those guys, like his movies, sometimes I'll really dig it. Like, uh, I was definitely okay with Mother. Uh, I, I enjoyed Mother. Uh, I know pretty much everyone else didn't. Um, and then there's stuff like Noah that I think is like just kind of a joke. Uh, I couldn't get into it. It just wasn't. And so that's like my Aronofsky uh, kind of view. It's like, there's 
I can, I can dig what he's doing and, and maybe kind of pick up what he's putting down. And, uh, sometimes I'm just like, no, this isn't, this isn't for me, but I didn't feel that way with the will. I, uh, I was excited to watch it. Glad that I finally had a really good reason to. And, uh, overall, I think I really enjoyed, enjoyed the movie. Oh man, that's see, that's awesome. Cause now I'm not the one who hasn't seen it. <laughs> Usually I'm the one who hasn't seen the movie. Yeah. Um yeah, no, uh man, I I completely agree with you, Zach. You know, Aronofsky is well I mean this will be the third Aronofsky movie we've done. Um I really liked Requiem. Um yeah, yeah, of course. Sorry. Email. Uh really liked Requiem for a dream. Um I didn't like the last 10 minutes when it, it was just those fast <laughs> cuts of just all hell breaking loose. It's my favorite part. Um, yeah, it's the best part. I, yeah, I didn't really dislike mother. I just, I felt like he just really beat you over the head with <laughs> the message and the point. Um, I think when I rewatched our episode of mother, I want to say we said, yeah, I get it at least 50 times. Because again, <laughs> it, it, he was just way too, like, like it, uh, the point of it was just it, he just yeah, beat you sure. over the head with it. But, but the whale, I was super excited for, <clears throat> just because I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Brendan Fraser. Uh, have we done a Brendan Fraser movie yet, Jeremy? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, um, I mean, we I we kind of talked. We kind of talked about Tomb of the Dragon Emperor and movies I hate. Uh, movies we hate. Um, <laughs> so then, yeah, th- this will be actually the first first one. So you know, so it's a big friend of Brendan's, um, and I was like, you know, Aronofsky at the helm. I think, I think this will pay off really well, and I was right. I remember. I remember when Jeremy and I walked out of the theater after we saw it, uh, I, I was speechless. Like I, I needed Jeremy to like, be like, okay, can you explain to me what we just saw? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. I, well, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I did some more research this time and, uh, and what I, what I got was, I was like, Oh, I missed that. So, I mean, there's, I mean, yeah, there's stuff in here that, you know, um, anyway yeah i loved it obviously um i thought it was wonderful i like the phrase um i think i liked it i like you know because it's it's one of those films that i think for most people when they see it um they're sort of they're sort of taken aback by a lot of what what plot elements um samuel d hunter is using here because I think a lot of people will find the the obesity sort of off-putting and sort of maybe um kind of exploitative in a way um, mm. and that might uh, take people away from it even though the story is magnificent and it's it's really it's an interesting story about um you know making up for lost time and reconnection and trying to make amends and um but I think people might miss that 
or sort of wash it away because they're like, yeah, but I mean, what's with the, you know, it was too much. It was too much with his, his weight and his, uh, his eating disorder and his obesity. Um, so I get that. Um, I think we should get this out of the way. I, there, there was controversy with, with Brendan Fraser getting casted because he's not 600 pounds because we're at that stage in, in existence where, you know, um, Mm. I, I heard one person say it's because people who are 600 pounds aren't Brendan Fraser's age. Um, and, Mm. and I like that. So, um, and obviously they wouldn't be able to, you know, people who are 600 pounds have a hard time doing most things. And so it would be hard to be on set all the time. Um, but this was amazing for a lot of reasons. So number one, the movie was fantastic, right? The writing was great. The, the, the adaptation was done very, very well. Um, and the performances were magnificent, but this has that extra, that, that extra element to this film, which was Brendan Fraser period, right? Mm -hmm. His, his resurgence back into acting and skyrocketing Mm -hmm. back up to a list that was a big deal um and i think it made a huge difference of how that movie was perceived in the first place if it had been anybody else i don't know uh yeah i agree um well here before before we keep moving on uh just so you know now that we have zach on just so on the off chance someone else is listening, uh, this is what the whale is about. Um, so the whale, uh, as we've already said, stars Brendan Fraser as Charlie, a 600 pound man who is on a quest for redemption. Um, we learn through the story that he left his wife and eight year old daughter to pursue a uh, romantic relationship with one of his students who was a man. And, uh, but his lover, Alan has since passed away and Charlie has been self-harming by overeating and, you know, we are, we're literally seeing the last week of his life in the film mm-hmm. and, and I don't want to spend too much time on the synopsis cause I, I like where we're already going. So that's the whale. Um, <laughs> that was it. I didn't. I yeah. really don't want to waste time. It's quick. It was too. Yeah, no, I didn't. It's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but back to what you're saying, Jeremy. Uh, no, I agree. If this had been anyone else, um, period. You know, if it was, if it wasn't Brendan that was cast, and as I learned last night, apparently Aronofsky was not. Um, the original choice for directing originally it was offered to George Clooney interesting to direct which mm. again I, I, I think it still would have been a good movie had Clooney been at the helm I don't yeah. think it would have been a great movie if it wasn't for Aronofsky and for Brendan it definitely would have um, been different I yeah, agree 100% 100% because I don't think and again this isn't a critique of George Clooney and the way he makes films. Um, But I don't think he would have had the playwright 
write the script. I think he would have had someone else adapt the play and we would have gotten kind of a a version like essentially they would have used the the bones of the play and then just made everything else around it as we're so? Samuel was able to take his play exactly the way it is and just make it a little bit more cinematic which sure. is which was his words actually Oh. Yeah, um perhaps, right? Um Yeah. Again, it would have been definitely a little bit different. I think um I don't know if it would have been as maybe as dark. I don't know, because when you think Aronofsky, you think, you know, he's going to do he's going to do whatever it takes for, you know, to get the emotion, to get the tone, to get all of that right no matter how no matter how sad it gets or how mm-hmm. how dark it gets or uh how depressing and yeah you're right i mean i don't know if uh, clooney's got it in him i mean good night and good luck is a it is an amazing film uh, obviously that's not the only one he's done but uh confessions of a dangerous mind is also amazing but um but you're right i, I think you know with aronofsky doing it it does lend to that to that tone that he's so good at capturing, right? That, uh, mm. those motifs. Um, okay. <sighs> Let's start with the obvious and we, we can start with Charlie. Um, um, Zach, I don't know if you read this or, or rain. Uh, I read that when, when Hunter was writing the story, was writing this, uh, was writing the play. He wasn't obese until way later. Um, that he um he sort of came up with that as sort of a barrier um between Charlie and the audience. He didn't. There needed to be something there that the audience would have a hard time um latching onto, I guess, or there be some sort of disconnect um mm-hmm. there. So, which which I find fascinating because it leads us to a deeper, more, more true, which is a main, the main theme of the film, uh, a true analysis, right? Because people are going to think the whale, he's fat, the end, that's why. And that is not why. So uh, Zach, what did you, what did you think about Charlie? What did you think about the weight um, being a part of it and, and how much or how little it actually affects the overall story or um, true theme of the film. Yeah, no, I thought, I think it's a very effective device. I didn't, I didn't uh, hear about that uh, of Hunter, of that being a thing later in the story of him becoming a beast. But um, I would imagine that the people that really enjoyed the play or that are more of a enjoy watching like the, the live plays and stuff, would be the people that are saying, you know, Darren's focusing too much on when he's eating and the extra noises and the sweat Mm -hmm. and all the other things that come with the shower, all the different things uh, would probably say it's too much and it's taking away. Um, But I think, you know, when it's on a stage and you just see this large person, that's enough to create that. They're not going to look past that. 
and and on film, I think it's you have to go into those things to to create that for the person watching because it's different visual. Um, and so that was very effective. And I do think, to your point, it, it didn't take it away. And I think what the scene that where that happens is whenever his his daughter first comes, and uh, she's like, "You're disgusting," and he's. He's like, well, I know I'm fat. And she's like, no, it's not because you're fat. It's because you abandoned me. He's like, right. um, and, and that was the idea. I was like, it has nothing to do with the weight. This is all about mm-hmm. real life situations, real life, real things happening. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it creates exactly what was intended. And I don't think because of the writing was so was written so well. And pretty early on, like I said, whenever it's the first time his daughter's there, um, I feel like they helped, they helped me as a viewer get past like, okay, this isn't about a fat man. This is about, yeah, hurt and, you know, loneliness and trying to, to rebuild some relationships that have been broken and abandoned. I, sorry, I, I would agree. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I definitely when I saw the first trailer, I I thought it was going to be purely about the weight. Uh, but then, yeah, the, the exact scene that Zach's talking about is I was like, oh, it has nothing to do with the weight. The weight is just the weight is sort of like. If I can give it a good analogy, which I hopefully this is a good analogy, it's almost like a, a smoking gun. You know, it it's always there. We know it's there, but it, it it's this isn't the reason why, um, you know, like Ellie, for instance, has all this animosity towards him. It has nothing to do with his weight. It has everything to do with you abandoned me when I was eight years old for a man and you just left me behind. Um, but yeah, it's exactly what Zach said. It's it's such an effective tool to put some distance essentially between Charlie and the audience. I agree. I, I think that it, if it had gone the other way and let's say um, Christian Bale in the machinist, if he, if it was, if he was mm-hmm. that thin and in the same scenario, right? I think it works exactly the same because it's still a disconnect. There's still a, a physical manifestation of uh, of this guilt and regret and loneliness and um and mourning that that charlie's going through right so that has a lot to do with it as well i think there needed to be a physical transformation whether it be on either end of the spectrum right um Mm -hmm. to show that he's always hurting right Mm -hmm. And putting himself in that position because he feels that he deserves it, which is why he's not going to the doctor after um, after his cardiac episode in the beginning of the film. He's like, I'm not going to the doctor. Um, and of course, Liz gives that perfect um, sort of foreshadowing sentence, which is you're not going to make it to the weekend. Well, and you know, um, there there's another thing to that as well, because um, like what Zach mentioned is, you know, and I want us to get into later, but you know, the, the movie is very real world stakes. Um, I was watching an interview with, 
with Brendan and Darren. And Brendan said like he spent time with with people who were obese or or you know were dealing with an eating disorder. And a lot of people who are obese um don't go to the the hospital just because maybe it is something that's subconscious, but they just don't. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, you know, Charlie may not want to go because he feels like he deserves this, which I feel like is partly true. Um, But I think another part of it is, you know, maybe he doesn't want to be seen as, which I think this could be true, but he doesn't want to be seen as a, a, a freak, you know, um, which of course we see later with his binge episode, um, mm-hmm. which I really want to dedicate some time to later, but yeah, um, I think, I, I think both, I, I think he doesn't mm-hmm. want to go because he feels like he deserves whatever he's got coming to him for, for having done this to himself, but also he doesn't want to be considered a freak. Or waste the money. Yeah. 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 But um, now, okay, we've talked about Charlie. Let's talk about Brendan for just a second. Sure. Um, Brendan is awesome. I mean, nowhere in the realm of possibility that did I think he couldn't pull a role like this off you know um as i said at the top of the show i am such a big fan of his um i mean and this is a controversial statement uh i think the mummy is one of his best films like i know everyone out there likes the tom cruise version whatever um nobody likes the tom cruise version that's (laughs) um but i i love brendan i think he i don't he can do no wrong in my eyes. I mean, yes, some of his movies have not been very successful, like monkey bone, for instance. Um, but I still love monkey bone. Um, and it's because of Brendan. He. Christ. <laughs> Fine. Go ahead. Oh, dude, we're going to, for sure. Since you said that we're for sure going to do it next season though. Wonderful. Um, but so when I heard that he was going to get cast, I was sold right off the bat. And, you know, and he, I was watching the special features on my Blu-ray and, you know, they, they talked about how Brendan understood Charlie apparently right from the get go. Like he understood exactly who Charlie was and, and, you know, it was just so impressive that he, he was able to understand this character from day one and knew exactly who Charlie was and how Charlie was going to be presented. And well, it, just, it, it might also be because he fell, he fell out of the public eye for a while. And when he resurfaced, he had gained a lot of weight. And I mean that this is mm. just, nice. and he got a lot of pushback and a lot of hate for getting all of that weight. And I think that of course helps understand this character that is so reclusive and so afraid of people seeing him uh because of how he looks mm. that's true that's true you know um yeah because 
you know, I mean, he he was pretty fit during the mummies, but then, you know, if anyone remembers, uh when when I talked about Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, you know, he felt like he was held together with duct tape during that movie because it just absolutely just destroyed his body. Held together you know. with duct tape. His words. I'm just, I'm just verbatim, verbatim it. Um, but yeah, man, I just, I don't like, like you said at the top of the show. I don't think there could have been anyone else to uh, to do to play Charlie. I think it, it had to be Brendan. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And again, uh, Charlie is such an interesting character, um, and his and this is a great transition into Ellie because Charlie I, I, I said it at the top of the show values truth more than anything he says it when he's mm-hmm. talking to his class in the very beginning right in understanding the truth of the writing and the the honesty of the writing will help you better to analyze it and become better writers in the future right mm-hmm. and where where he does get frustrated especially near the end about just he just hates all of these people who are just being dishonest with themselves right um and dishonest just in general um ellie comes in and ellie is the same way but she goes about it a different way so ellie also wants people to just be honest and to just, you know, cut the shit, just tell me exactly what you mean, right? But she does it, she manipulates people into <laughs> revealing their truth and being honest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it just turns out that when she's, when she's berating Charlie to be honest and to, you know, tell her exactly how he feels. That is how he feels, right? He's just nice. I think it's, uh, is what frustrates her because he really does think that she's amazing. And he really does think that, uh, she has potential and that she's wonderful and nice. Um, but you know, when Thomas shows up and is hiding so much of himself from everyone, she doesn't like that at all. And she knows exactly how to fix that. So. Let's talk about Ellie for a few minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, Jeremy, you, you've never, it was this the first time you've ever seen Sadie sink before since, you know, yes. you've never seen stranger things past. That is correct. I, I didn't know she was in that, but yes, this <laughs> is the first time. <laughs> uh, I know Zach, you've seen see stranger things past season. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Seen all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Seen all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I had a sneaking suspicion, Jeremy. This is the first time you've ever seen Sadie Sink. She was great. I, she was fantastic. She was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's interesting. She play. She knows how to really play the, the the really, um, hard person who's actually really vulnerable underneath it all. If you would have seen seasons two through four good. of stranger things. And you would have already known that. Um, but, but she's, yeah, she's, she's so phenomenal. And, you know, 
um, it's interesting, you know, we get conflicting views on Ellie, you know, we, from, you know, her mom and from Charlie and even Liz, you know, Charlie just sees that she just needs a little guidance, you know, um, her mom sees her as evil and Liz just sees her as a rebellious teenager. And, but I think these conflicting views really sum Ellie up. I think she is all of these things, you know, she can be evil, you know, with all the stuff she's putting up on her Facebook page. Um, I think she is a rebellious teenager, you know, with the fact that she, uh, doesn't tell her mom that she's been seeing Charlie. And I, I think that again, like we've been saying, Charlie does believe that she, she is a good person and she just needs just a little bit, you know, just have a helping hand to kind of remember that she is amazing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Ellie is like a very, um, just like very necessary, like in this whole story of, of someone that is like that. I think it's just, you know, another device to be able to, um, cause I think all the characters, they're all dealing with something. Um, and they're all doing it in a way that at least is what's portrayed, um, isn't always like what's right. You know, it's like Ellie and, and, and all with a good intention, you know, like, uh, Thomas wants, you know, someone to be saved liz wants to physically take care of charlie charlie just wants everyone to be honest and same with ellie um and ellie's just a jerk about it though and like that's how she is hiding from all the stuff that she's feeling and so she's just throwing all these jabs and all this other stuff which most of it is true <laughs> like uh it's pretty you know ruthless um but there's a lot of truth in it um because she values that uh, but obviously better ways to deliver it. Um, but teenage teenagers don't always, you know, know how to communicate. Um, and that's portrayed through, through Ellie. And, uh, I think, you know, just everything she's feeling, all the hurt and stuff, you know, she, she feels like she's, you know, putting up this front that every teenager does and that they're tougher than they actually are. Um, but it takes no time at all to realize she's just hurt. She's mad about what's happened. Um, she's mad about her past and she wants a dad and she hasn't had one. Um, and, and then you get to see, yeah, you just get to see her, her kind of like, yeah, that ruthlessness, that rebelliousness that's in her. Um, but also there's, uh, just like a little bit of light and Charlie, his character sees that in people. Um, and so, and of course he would see that in his daughter. Um, and so he, he sees the, what can be good. Um, right. Sees it from an early age with the, with the essay, um, and still sees it whenever he finally reconnects with her years later. Um, and so Ellie, yeah, she's very, um, it is Sadie Sinks right up her alley for that type of character. Um, right. It's very early in her career. So she, um, has really, I think mastered that, uh, yeah, just being the, having some fire to her and, and being able to deliver those hard lines. I would imagine what well, I can imagine what it would be like to, to say those things um, as a younger person like that to, you know, someone like Brendan um, and uh, just being able to get in that mindset, but she, she, she crushed it. She kills it. And you, 
you can really feel, um, you know, a lot of that hate and the pain that she's feeling in, uh, in her words. Uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree, you know, especially with what you said about, she just wants a dad. Um, but you know, she has all this hurt and this pain and this anger that it's hard for her to, to let that go, especially, um, because she's been doing it for so long. You know, she's had all this pain and this hurt for so long that it's hard to let go because it, it, it's easier to to just utterly destroy Charlie um, because she knows she can't. Um, it would be harder to to let it go when he reaches out to try to reconnect and forgive him. Um, honestly, I'm actually glad uh, Samuel D. Hunter kept her like that, kept her in that mentality uh, up until the end, end of the movie because I feel like it wouldn't have hit harder when she essentially forgives him at the end of the movie, um, had she just forgiven him right when we met her, uh, I think it was, I think it was necessary to keep her in this constant state of beratement and ruthlessness and anger until the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's, (laughs) she's different. There were times when, you know, I really didn't think she was doing anything positive, right? Um, <laughs> there, when when he, for instance, um, one of the very first, it's so it's so dumb and it's so small, and you think that he's just being naive and optimistic when she writes the haiku. Um, mm-hmm. Because she's saying these terrible things, but he realized it's in haiku form and mm-hmm. it makes him giddy because she's she's giving him what he wants without, you know, being upfront about, you know, like, okay, fine, I'll I'll write things for you and I'll put effort into it. Like that you would think on the surface level it's not putting effort into it at all and it was an accident. And of course Charlie is just like no it was deliberate and she's trying and she there's someone there's someone who loves me in there and and then later on when she um when she basically outs thomas to his uh his church and his family and you're thinking wow that's terrible you know she's not nice (laughs) but but then he's like, no, she did it to help him because now they're accepting him back home and the church is like, it's just money. It's fine. And all that stuff. Um, and so again, you keep thinking that maybe he's just being naive and he's just optimistic and he just wants her to be nice. And maybe she really isn't. But I do truly think that she is doing things for good and doing the right thing. And it's just in her way of doing the right thing and, and trying to help people along by manipulating them and making them do what she wants that she feels is good for them, which ends up being good for them, hopefully on purpose. Um, well, and you know, like we've been saying, uh, she's being true to herself, which is yeah. why I think Charlie 
Um, I think that's why Charlie doesn't see the bad. She's being true to who she is. She's being honest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, Now this is going to be okay. So here's the the part of the film that I found interesting and um, sort of ties in with our last episode. And Zach's going to help us out with this one. I hope uh, is the religious aspect of this mm-hmm. of this film because there is a a, a, a religious aspect um in sort of a negative way um where this church has essentially ruined a few people's lives uh in in this film uh in this story you have charlie allen liz and thomas um that have all been affected um by this church in some way or another and I thought it was fascinating because it was sort of – it wasn't any sort of denomination. You know, the Hunter's doing a good job with not giving it specifics so you can just say it's just religion, right? It's just generic uh, faith. I, I, I read in the original play they were Mormon. Mm, there you go. And then he, mm-hmm. changed, it, he changed it for the film. Um, I – so I think I can get us pointed in the right direction with that. Oh, let's go. Um, because Samuel um, was, I was, I was watching the special features on, on, on my Blu-ray and he grew up in the town where the movie is set. Uh, Moscow. Uh, Iowa, Iowa, Ohio. I think it's Indiana. It was Idaho. No. Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. Moscow, Idaho. Um, he grew up in that town and he grew up in a very religious household. Uh, and so from what I gather as, as it is with most, most people, um, he has some, uh, religious trauma. Um, because you're right. This church in the film has ruined Charlie's life, Liz's life and Alan's life. I don't agree with Thomas and I'll tell you why. Because, um, shit, hang on. I had that actor's name right, <laughs> right on. Ty something. Yeah. T- yeah. Ty. Ooh, he was in one Iron Man movie. Yes. He was. Ty Simpkins. Uh, Ty Simpkins. Simpkins. Um, he said something in the special features that I a hundred percent agreed with. And it made Thomas more of a sympathetic character. He, Thomas is trying to prove to himself his own faith. That's what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So not okay. necessarily has, 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 has ministering for new life ruined him. He's trying to make sure the thing that he's dedicated his life to is true. Um, as were, of course, Charlie and Liz both are like, no, it's, it's ruined our lives. Um, but I just realized I didn't circle back to the point of Samuel. So <laughs> definitely some religious trauma and that kind of bleeds over. And I think, and I think the reason why that that's in the film and probably also in the play as well is religious trauma. I feel uh, people can relate to because someone has gone through that or at least can understand where they're coming from. Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. 
Yeah, and no, I think so. Maybe one thing that people wouldn't like about this movie is how there's a bunch of different like things going on, you know? So like there's certainly this religious aspect of it with Thomas and, you know, the aspect of, of Charlie, there's a bunch of different branches. Um, so that's something I think that's worth, worth pointing out is that there is kind of a lot of these different branches um, in this movie that I think some people might find too busy. Um, but I think that's why it's especially worth watching a second time. Um, Cause it really just pieces everything together. You just really get to see everyone is trying to, to do something for themselves to make them kind of feel, you know, better or whatever. And, uh, I think for sure Thomas's character is, uh, is a jab at religion, you know? And it's like, I, I, I appreciated that they don't put a denomination or a specific religion on it. Um, because I think, I think y'all are all right. Like there's, there's trauma with, with religion, with people. And, uh, I think that's something that people will, um, they're going to cringe at. I think that might be like, another like, it's just, there's some cringy scenes with Thomas and, um, you know, especially at the end. Uh, and, and so getting this perspective of, of religion and like, you know, it seems I mean, I think it's wrong, right? Like what we see on, on TV is like not right. Uh, that's not the way to do it. And like, you know, people are just projects or you're just trying to get another person to commit to your specific belief so that you can feel better about yourself. Um, and that's just like completely false, but that's how so much of it is. Um, and even somebody like Thomas can be just, I'm just trying to do this for me. Um, but from Charlie's perspective, it, it probably couldn't be further from the truth. And, and Charlie can see something that Thomas can't. And I think that's what's so cool about uh, Thomas's character. And the the ploy on religion in this is that uh, I think a lot of times we people only see from their perspective. Um, and again, this is what I really love about Charlie's character is that he he does have an ability to kind of see from everyone else's perspective. And for whatever reason, he doesn't want to look through like his own. Um, he's got so many other issues that he needs to deal with, but he doesn't. Um, but he's able to see things from other people's perspective. Um, and, and he has grace. I think uh, an ironic thing is the grace that, that uh, Charlie has with Thomas um, after, you know, saying the stuff that he says about Alan and, um, and so I think there's this, they use the religion piece for me. It was just like, I know a lot of religious people, obviously I have like that background. I've worked at a church for several years and it's very easy for people in, in religion to get stuck on their views and what they think is right. Right. And just like last, I think the last film doubt was perfect. Like it's just, you have your, your belief and your perspective and you think that's it. And, and there's nothing else. And, um, I think that's what Thomas kind of, kind of gives as a, another tool to the story. Another, just, uh, just more character to the story is like, he's got his perspective and, uh, it's a religious one. And, um, I think it, it is again used to kind of amplify some of that empathy that Charlie has. 
Um, it's, I think it's also like for sure a jab at like um, a religion in general. Cause like I, I mean, whenever he was trying to, he's coming back and sharing the, the passage with, uh, with Charlie, I was like, oh my gosh and then saying the things about alan is like it's too late for alan but it's not too late for you it's like dude this is terrible and of course nobody wants to be a part of anything like that um and so i uh that's just kind of some thoughts i had about thomas oh yeah no i i completely agree and and, you know what you know uh what you were saying zach it made me think of uh and shout out to our episode on silence that's exactly what it made me think of is you know, this person who's so set in their own perspective, because, you know, um, you know, I, I don't think I've made it uh, a secret on the show. You know, I was raised Baptist and but I was always raised of. Yes, it is the job of of a Christian to gospel, to go out there, to to help the nonbelievers believe. But I was always raised as you don't force it on people. You know, you, you, you tell them the good news. You tell them what they, you know, what they could gain. This is going to sound really terrible, but to put it in words, uh, a sales pitch, essentially. But I was always raised to not just force it. Like, oh, well, hey, well, you need to be going to church, it, which is kind of what Thomas is doing, especially like with the, what you said, Zach, with when he comes back for the final time and gives him the, the one thing that Charlie doesn't want to hear, which is it was too late for Alan. It's not too late for you. Um, because as we see, Charlie doesn't believe that at all. He doesn't believe it was late for Alan. He, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes I have a hard time. Uh, I don't think I've ever told Jeremy this before, but like sometimes I do have a hard time when a film goes down a religious road as long as it's done well and in respect, and I do agree, they are definitely taking a jab. Um, but it wasn't a jab in like, oh, well, you're wrong if this is what you believe in. It was definitely more so of, again, what you're saying, Zach, when they get so laser focused on their perspective. And it's all about the, the dogma essentially. Um, and I think we really see that in, in Thomas, but again, I I think it's, it's definitely for his own game one, but it's definitely, but that ties into him trying to prove to himself that his faith is real, that he's, he's not wrong, um, in, in his faith. And I think that's why he's trying so hard to, to save Charlie. Because again, it is a very selfish need, but he thinks if well, if I can save Charlie, then my faith is real. Yeah, I'm well, he also feels that obligation, right? He feels that obligation to help Charlie because he was there at the right time to to help him through that cardiac sure. episode in the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Yeah, seeing that as a sign. Yeah, he he saw it as well. I was put there for a reason like this wasn't an accident like i was i was there when you needed someone the most and where liz obviously has a very different and unique perspective 
because not only does she grow up in the town with this um, prevalent religion, but her dad runs the church, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was was fascinating. You know, when when that reveal, you know, was um, revealed, that was stupid. Anyway. Um, I was gonna say it's not really revealed; it's said to us. It's in said, like the right? First five well, minutes. So when <laughs> when she was uh, talking about how it was, you know, the only reason why she knows Charlie in the first place is because you know she's Alan's sister, and um, and there were, her dad runs the church, and there was that arranged marriage um, for Alan because her dad just wouldn't accept that you know he was homosexual. And I think that, of course, that the homosexuality plays a big part in this because Samuel D. Hunter is himself homosexual and that growing up in a predominantly really, – I'm so sorry. Shut up. It's my cat. Uh, growing up in a predominantly religious community, I mean, that's got to do a number on you, um, especially if it's like a really conservative religious community. That can't be mm-hmm. – that can't be fun. So, um, yeah, and that's actually what he said in in the special features. You know, he said that it was it was it was really hard uh, growing up in this town because you know he definitely felt like he couldn't. You know, we, we talk about it now in twenty twenty three. You know, he felt like he couldn't be his true self um, in fear of being not accepted or in fear of of, of judgment. And I don't know if you knew this, Jeremy, but since we're on Samuel, um, this fear of not being able to be himself led to overeating and, and he, so he, the story is semi autobiographical. Mm -hmm. He sees himself as Charlie. Now he never got as big as Charlie, but he, you know, he said that he, he gained a lot of weight, but he had the right people in his life to get him off that, that road. And that's was kind of the inspiration for the play, which is, well, what if there was someone who didn't have that off ramp? Mm-hmm. And what, what, what would that look like? Um, so, you know, it is, it is interesting that he, it's almost like this is what could have happened to me. Had I not had these people in my corner in a way, you know, yeah, and you know, I mean, Liz is obviously like the reason he's still alive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Liz is, you know, um, is his guardian angel. She's amazing. Now, when when we get that bombshell that he has a a, a ton of money, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars, and you know, when she is is oh my god, I'm so sorry. Uh, when um when she's like, well, when my car broke down and I, I had to walk, you know, I had to carry groceries in the snow, you know, he was like, yeah, you know what? I, the money's for her. You know what I mean? Like it's, I felt, mm-hmm. oh, sorry. <laughs> now my wife is yelling at the cat. Um, you feel so bad for her and you mm-hmm. feel as if, you know, now Charlie's the one hiding something, you know, it's not, I don't think he would, obviously he wasn't doing it to be malicious. He's not doing it because he feels that she isn't deserving of anything. He's just doing it because this is 
the this is what the money's for. Like full stop, this is what the money we can't I can't spend it on anything else. I can't get a wheelchair. I can't get things for to help around the house. I can't go to the doctor. I can't go to the hospital. This is it. This is what the money's for. for Ellie. Right. Well, and and he does say, you know, I, I offered to fix it because mm-hmm. I think that would have been the exception since Liz, sure. again, as you said, Liz is keeping him alive. But, you know, Liz is so she has her own guilt, you know, for keeping what? him alive. You know, she says, you know, I didn't want you to do that because I thought you only had seven hundred dollars in your account. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, the I mean they both feel beholden to one another because of Alan. Mm-hmm. So they need to be in each other's lives because they, they're the only connection they have to Alan. Alan is, mm-hmm. Alan is their connection. Right. And of course, right. I mean, coincidentally, she's a nurse, I guess, um, and is able to help in that way, you know? Um, but, and again, like you feel so bad for Liz because she's she's trying to help him in any way she can, but then she's she's having to she's having to really struggle with herself and with her the I mean, obviously she's a nurse. She wants to keep everyone as healthy as possible, but she's having to enable with getting him the sub sandwiches, getting him the bucket of chicken. I mean, it is, you know, you, I feel so bad for her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, and Brendan has said that about the character of Liz and all the press for the film, which is, you know, Liz is, you know, like you just said, he, she's trying to keep him alive, but she is enabling him. You know, she's not, she's not, I don't want to say she's not trying that hard, but she's really not. She's not really trying that hard to maybe change some of his, you know, his eating habits or anything like that. You know, like, like with the bucket of chicken at the beginning of the movie. Um, Do you you think a a small part of her thinks he deserves it too? Because I mean, that's why Charlie's eating himself to death is he thinks he deserves it. Right. Or at least he's gotten to, to that point where there's just no, there's no getting out of it. He's, you know, just stuck. But I would say, I would say maybe a very small part of Liz. Okay. I would say maybe 2%. 2% thinks he does deserve it. Because I think, I think somewhere deep down in Liz, she knows he left not only his wife, but his eight year old daughter. Well, for her brother, she may care about that. But, there's no, there's no evidence to this, by the way, in the film that she right, has right. any animosity towards him at all. Besides the killing himself with his with his lifestyle, because Alan killed himself, and so why are you doing the same? Why do I have to go through that again? Right, right, right. Yeah. So I was just gonna say the other ninety eight percent. I think she's just more. Um. She just, yeah, exactly what you just said. You just, yeah, you finished out my ninety eight percent thing. Cool. <laughs> she also, um, she she's like the mirror to Thomas of like, you know, like Thomas just wants um, 
you know, Charlie to change like how he's living, um, to like believe in God so that he can have salvation. And Liz tells him, she's like, I don't think people can change. Um, she doesn't think people can change. I think that's maybe part of it too, is like, she doesn't expect Charlie to change because people can't change. And so she keeps bringing him the meatball subs, even though he almost chokes and dies on it while she's doing his dishes. She hands him the sub right back, you know, and it's like, well, like, do you actually care about this person if you're mm-hmm. just giving them the meatball sub that almost killed them? Literally. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that just continues, I think, to be like the contradicting thing, though, of like, uh, of caring for somebody, of love, like loving someone in, in tough situations. So, um, I think as I'm thinking about it, that's like part of uh, the, the non religion part of it is like you can, he's, she thinks she's helping. She, I would imagine she feels like she's helping, but she also communicates too, like, Hey, I can't do this anymore. Like she knows this isn't like what's best. And she's maybe mad at him. And she says she's mad at him for putting her through this again, mm-hmm. you know, which is obviously the other side of the spectrum with, with her brother who starved himself to death. And so now Charlie is eating himself to death. So she's getting just this, um, but I think a part of it is like, she, she tells him, she's like, people don't change. Like you can't change anybody. Um, and so I think a part of her belief is maybe just this guy's not going to change. Um, because for whatever reason, that's a part of, of who she is. Um, and I think that's another just play on, on, uh, on, on Thomas's character of someone who just wants people to change, uh, to be, you know, better, uh, or, you know, more, more holy or whatever the different religion is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Liz kind of counterbalances that. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's, that's right. Because I mean, God, poor Liz. Um, I, I tend to, I guess I tend to fall more on Liz's side just because I, I, I don't know. I just think that she's, she goes through the most, I think, because she had to deal with Alan. Now she's having to deal with Charlie and, um, and especially what she felt was that betrayal of not helping her out financially when he had the money, right? Where he could mm-hmm. have lived. Yeah, you felt ahead. it. You felt yeah. it, the pain. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, um, like, you know. The betrayal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when she says, you know, she we could have gotten so you. Good. Yeah, we could have gotten you whatever yeah, you needed. Physical therapy, yeah, the help. And it's just like, yeah, she was so betrayed. Yeah, yeah. she absolutely crushed that scene. There's there's a character in this film that I feel is extremely important yet um yet so subtle is the pizza guy. Yeah. Yes. Dan. Dan. Dan, Dan is everybody. What I mean by that is Dan represents going outside. Dan represents Mm -hmm. strangers. Dan represents people he knows. Dan represents people who knew him before. He doesn't want anybody to see him, right? As evidence to him pretending his camera's broken on his his computer when he's teaching his lessons, which he used to teach in person. But I love Dan. And and it also, this is the most play-like thing in the film is the window, right? Um, where we're seeing people pass through, pass by the window through the curtains, which I love. Mm -hmm. And I love how Aronofsky shoots those scenes in particular with the blocking and with the camera movements, 
to where we're always aware of it because he's always aware of who's coming and going because he doesn't, you know, he's hyper aware of who gets to see him and who doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Dan is fascinating mm-hmm. because when Dan finally sees Charlie, it's Charlie's worst fear in that Dan immediately rejects him, thinks he's gross, doesn't want anything to do with him, and is like not frightened, but really taken aback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's what you know, and that's what triggers this this binge that Charlie goes on. You know, because you're, you're right. It, it's it's an, and Charlie can tell. You know, no words were spoken. Just the mm-hmm. look on Dan's face, this immediate rejection because of the way you look, because you're so fat or you're so disgusting or something. And, you know, and Charlie um, deals with it the only way he knows how to deal with it, which is just he binges, binge eats. And, you know, my mom, when I uh, talked to my mom into going to see the movie, you know, we talked a lot about this sequence uh and she she pretty she hit it pretty hard on the head which is if he could have killed himself right then and there that's what he was trying to do yeah it, he yeah. if he could have just ended it all right there it would have happened had he not probably thrown all that food back up yeah it was a tough scene. it was um it's one of those scenes that i'm not sure if it's in the play um that would be very difficult for a, an actor to do it once a night ugh, <laughs> at least um yeah, yeah. or or th- three times a night depending on oh, the weekend you know. um yeah so i don't know if that's in there but i think like zach was saying in the beginning there are things in here in this film cinematically even though they're not in the play like taking a shower for instance these are the scenes that sort of put you in or give you more of a graphic view than than the play would. Because the play, you're there already. So he was exactly, I mean, Zach, you're right. When, you know, at a play, you don't really need it because you're there, right? In in the film, you need things to get you there and to really put you in that space and to really make you understand this, this character situation. And I think that, uh, obviously taking a shower and the prosthetics and cause I don't know if you've seen pictures of them on stage, but it's not very convincing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really is. They're wearing just a fat suit. I mean, they do nothing to the neck, mm-hmm. to the hands. It's really just, they're wearing a fat suit. Um, it works cause it's a play, right? There's the, there's such a unique yeah. suspension of disbelief when it comes to plays, which I love. But in this binge eating scene, it is, it it really is very graphic and we're not used to seeing people like that. And so it is sort of jarring. Uh, can I give you a little fun fact, buddy? I would love um, it. Our good friend Jazz, uh, when I convinced her to watch this movie, mm-hmm. uh, straight up told me that scene made her throw up. Really? Yeah. <laughs> she said she legitimately threw up during that scene. Uh, she said she didn't hate the movie, but as you said, um, it's very jarring. And, you know, it was, I remember us sitting in the theater watching it. It was hard for me to watch. Um, not that it made me sick, just because I, I knew what he was doing. 
Mm-hmm. I knew that he, this was the only thing he could think of that mm-hmm. this is how I can cope with it. I'm just going to eat everything. And of course, like my, what my mom said is he was just trying to end it right then and there. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, no, I think it, it definitely is another, another scene. I mean, you see all the good things in Charlie. And I think again, like that, what Jeremy had brought up about um, just being obese and how that creates kind of a, a gap or whatever. You almost kind of forget that Charlie, you know, has an eating disorder or whatever. He's helping his daughter. He's comforting Liz. Um, and there's just a bunch of good things that we're getting to see, like the goodness in, in Charlie. Um, but then of course he yeah, had this episode that happens after he makes that contact with, uh, with Dan and he just abruptly so sudden reminded like, Oh, this guy does have a problem still. Like, and it, it hurts. Like it's, you don't, yeah, it's uncomfortable to watch. Um, and, uh, it's sad, you know, it's heartbreaking because just like you said, for the most part, you know what he's trying to do. Um, yeah, and it just crushes, crushes you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, it took me this, the second time watching it, uh, why he got fired, um, from his job. Um, but then it was, it was the email he sent to all his students, which Jeremy, since you used to work at a college. So if a professor actually did do that, w- would they have gotten fired if the students complained enough? It depends. Um, I mean, like, listen, I'm not going to name names, um, but his name is Bob <laughs> Templeton and he worked uh, for the Midland Reporter Channel again. And uh, it took quite a bit for him to get fired. Um, mm. So probably one of the worst people to ever work there. Um, he was he was not a nice person, inappropriate with uh, with female students. And, um, he worked there for quite a long time past when he should have. So this in particular, definitely a reprimand, definitely a write up. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some suspension, but fired. I don't know. Um, yeah. Cause you know, all we know is he says like your complaints have been heard and I'm being replaced. Yeah. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of, I mean, listen, students complain about professors all the time. Uh, it's nothing new, but that in particular, I don't know if it would have gotten him like fired for sure. No, not necessarily because it wasn't, it wasn't too vulgar and it wasn't inappropriate in, in like a, in an uncomfortable sense, but it it just was like, he was just swearing and there's a paper trail. (laughs) Um, um, but yeah, you know, so this is what this is the part of the film that I loved more than everything. So, you know, we get this this very jarring scene of Charlie literally just trying to end it all. I'm just going to eat till I'm dead. And we're on pretty much the last day of his life. Um and he he has that final confrontation with Ellie and 
he he finally achieves what he's been trying to tell her all week, which is you're an amazing person. You are you're capable of being nice. You you've just forgotten. And it's so it's so good because just like Requiem, uh, Darren is using music to build the emotion and build everything between these two characters. And it's, to be honest, it's one of my favorite scenes. The, the, this last 10 minutes of the well, movie. Well, this will bring us to what I think is, is an extremely important topic, which is the title itself, The Whale, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, I think most people, maybe not most, but some would say, you know, it's obvious it's because he's obese and that's obviously not the point. Um, because the whale is obviously referring to Moby Dick, which, um, which an essay that he reads to, to bring him comfort um, is about Moby Dick. And when he's reading it and when you're actually listening to what what's what the essay is it's not it's not nice it's not a a fair representation of the book necessarily it's not it's not accurate necessarily but it's it's true to the author and the author is Ellie um and it's the most honest thing he's ever read because it was written by someone who isn't going to lie to you when it comes to her opinions, right? And it's so important to him, and he treasures it so much that um, that he reads it for for comfort and to to calm himself down. And in in that moment, in the very beginning, when he has Thomas read it, he thinks that's the last words he's ever going to hear. So you know, he wants this to be the last words he's ever going to hear because not only is it an honest piece of writing, which is what he loves, but it's by the most important person that he knows, which is Ellie. And there's also some, there's some parallels between Ahab and Charlie and, um, and, you know, searching and, and trying to attain a, a mission and a goal, right. And to, to finally achieve it or to finally go for it, no matter what, even if it kills you. Um, but yeah. So thoughts. Uh, no, I, yeah, I, I completely agree, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I actually missed that, that the, well, cause I'm going to be honest, I've never read Moby Dick. Um, so I missed that. No one has. Everyone just pretends. <laughs> I mean, I've seen in the heart of the sea. So, I mean, that's essentially Moby Dick. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, so I never realized that Ellie's paper is, 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 as Charlie says, it's you, you know, it's very honest, um, very brutally honest. Um, and Charlie, and I think, and I think this is why Charlie is so hell bent on having uh, Ellie understand that it's okay 
to be truthful because i mean you already were you know um but yeah i i long story short i I agree with what everything you just said (laughs) yeah no it's it's a it's a great scene i think ultimately you know it, it sums up uh you know charlie tried to save someone he felt thomas tried to save someone he felt liz tried to save her brother and Charlie, she failed. Um, and so we don't get really get to know um, necessarily that it, he gets to save his daughter. Um, but he does remind her and like, it's clear and like Sadie breaks, you know, she breaks from kind of who she is, allows the vulnerability to come out as she's reading. Um, and you get to see Charlie maybe um, get to, at least point his daughter back in the right direction, but maybe save her. Um, and it's just done with like this thing that's been kind of in and out of the whole movie. And it finally has, um, just has a ton of meaning whenever she comes in and she's like, what the freaking hell is this? You know, like I failed. Do you want me to flunk out of high school? And he's like, well, read, read the paper, you know? And we, we learned that it's hers. And, um, yeah, it's just a beautiful scene that just like I think brings a lot of a lot of the story together of of Charlie trying to save you know his daughter um, once he finally reconnects and uh, maybe 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 feels like yeah you know he he couldn't save Alan you know um, like him and Liz talk about and uh, and so this was his last kind of push to be able to do it. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a super beautiful scene. Yeah. I, I think yeah. because, you know, with, with the essay, it's not just that it's an honest, like representation of how she felt about the book. It's what she says in it because she even talks about, you know, she feels, you know, a sort of sadness and she feels a sort of loneliness and she feels as if a part of herself is, is sort of missing and it's all because he left, right? This is around the time, this is a few years after he left. And, you know, obviously that, that I'm sure brings him a tremendous amount of guilt, number one. But the fact that she was able to write it down and be so vulnerable, he knows that she's capable of that. And you're right that, you know, um, that he knows that she can remember how to be that way again especially by revisiting this essay yeah um yeah 100 percent, i agree um uh and and i love that she's you know exactly like what you two said is that you know she's still trying to hold on to her armor you know and then she finally lets it all slide because she despite everything we've seen up until this point, she doesn't want her dad to die. You know, you know, no, no child wants their, their parent to die. Um, but you know, the fact that she still decides to read it to him clues us in is that she still loves her dad, you know, or at least still cares for him. And, and what I love is the the thing that makes me love the scene so much besides not only of course the writing and the direction and the, and the music 
but is when Ellie calls back to when we first meet her, which is, you know, I want you to get up and walk to me and he's able to do it. And so seeing that she starts to meet him halfway and it's it's such a good scene in, in the play, he takes that deep breath and then it cuts to black and that's the end of the play. Mm, Okay. In this film, and I read that this was not in the original script because um, Aronofsky put it in later was the beach. Um, He put it in afterward. Um, Samuel Hunter didn't do that. I don't know. Uh, Okay. I don't know how I feel about it because I think that's giving me that's giving me too much of a he did die, (laughs) you know? In the play, you sort uh-huh. of get that ambiguity, um, mm. yeah, which can carry I, you through a while. Yeah, I, I think it's because, I think it's because Aronofsky and Samuel probably talked because apparently they they worked together very very closely on the script together. I think they just wanted to answer the question: Does he actually die? And, sure. Uh, I mean, it doesn't need to, you know, we're going to do another Aronofsky next season. I wrote it down, so it's happening. Is it the we're, fountain? No, it's not the fountain, although, you know, that'd be cool. Is it the wrestler? And he's not, he's not shy about ambiguous endings. So, I, you know, right. um, <laughs> I don't know. I There's actually the movie we're going to do next season with um with Aaron asking I'll tell you what it is, but it's almost the same plot. Um as this one, so Google it. But I already, I already know. Yeah, you know up. what it is. Um but I don't know. I would have liked a little more ambiguity. I loved the the shot of him going towards the white light because that's exactly what Thomas says would happen. Right? Thomas says that mm-hmm. he would be um he'd be lifted up and his body will be made of light, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I liked that. That whether he's actually, you know, dying, having a heart attack or what, he's, I see it as him bringing back that piece of information and, you know, and that's what he's seeing, right? Um, right. I don't know, what'd you guys make of it? Yeah, I agree. I, and I agree. I think it, I think it does... You know, it doesn't necessarily say like, you know, Charlie's going to some heaven or anything specific, but I think there's like a religious, like a tug to something that happens after, you know, with many religions, like after death, you can go to a better place or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of pulls on that a little bit. I think recalling that um, the light and uh, I think the whole walking there and just like the build up to it and yeah, the flashing back to the scene, it feels like he's feels like he's going to, you know, like the peaceful place or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so I think it is like kind of like a, just a tug on on uh, on what you know paradise might be for for someone as they pass. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree. You know, um, again, Jeremy, because this is what we do. I. I do believe he did die. I yeah. believe that was Aronofsky yeah, that's right. and Samuel saying, yes, he died. 
Um, but you know, again, I, I I think it was you know, and it was such a a good image to leave the audience with that he, yes, he died, but he sort of flashed back to a moment in his life with the beach where he was content Mm -hmm. with his daughter, the happiest. Yeah. Uh, Which is interesting because I would have thought maybe Alan would have popped up, but it was when he was with his daughter Mm -hmm. um, and Mary. Um, Yeah. It's just, the movie is, is so phenomenal. No wonder Brendan got an eight minute standing ovation. Um, It's, you know, I really try to get Ashley to watch it with me. Like, I was like, please, I want you to watch this with me. You'll love it. And she was like, I don't want to be bummed out. I'm like, and it's barely two hours long. <laughs> did, uh, did Haley watch it with you, buddy? She did. Yeah. Yeah. She watched <sighs> it with me. Yep. I'm going to totally guilt Ashley now. She, well, okay. Let me rephrase. She was playing her fish <laughs> game next to me. While it was on, so uh, I mean, no, she had she did have questions every now and then, and whatever. I mean, it, it wasn't like she was completely like disconnected from it. Um, but she may have even been doing like something. I think you were like cleaning the rabbit cage, right, or something during it. Yeah, so um, yeah, so, but she did watch some of it, and she was like, "Yeah, that guy died for sure." And I was like, "All right." Um, cool <laughs> just, just like her whole for sure that uh father flynn yes uh, she was like yep he did it there's no doubt in my mind i go okay <laughs> so she was like this movie should be called no doubt boom <laughs> oh man no oh. diggity jesus christ that's on me well, anyway well, um <laughs> all right rain <laughs> Are you ready to wrap up, wrap up, wrap up? I am. I was actually about to about to start the wrap up, man. Okay, um, great. Once again, man, um, like I said at the top of the show, what a banger to not only end this end of season series, but this season on, um, you know, I remember after we saw the whale, I was itching to talk about it, but, you know, we were still very much into our films we hadn't seen and we had literally just saw the movie so it wasn't gonna work done um but you know again uh you know again yes there's some controversy surrounding the film but it doesn't it doesn't take away from the film at all in my opinion um again you can see why brennan fraser got an eight minute standing ovation Sure. At, uh, was it can? I don't know. I think that's usually or... where they don't tell people to sit down. I think is is can. I think you could have a standing ovation as long as you need it to be. Um, um, but, but I, I do. Uh, I do have an oops. I forgot. Oh, okay. Um, it, you know, we we've been going through this whole thing and good Lord, can you believe we didn't talk about Samantha Morton? Um, whoopsies. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's incredible. Mary. 
And what's interesting about her character is that she's also she also has a problem. She she drinks too much. Like that's you know, mm-hmm. um, and she's a total drunk. And you know, she's probably a bad mom. Um, but because she's so bitter too, right? It's like her bitterness towards Charlie just rubs off on everyone, you know. Mm-hmm. And even in the, there's a moment where they're talking and you know she says something snarky about Ellie and he says something positive and she goes you still do that you know mm-hmm. like be yeah. nice yeah. like yeah <laughs> you know how they were ever together who knows <laughs> she crushed it though she did it was uh, Morton's incredible um, she was yeah Shout out to Synecdoche uh, in New York. Um, yeah. Oh my God, that's Hazel. right. Yeah. All right. I'm done. Oh man, that's all I have. <laughs> we forgot about um, that. That's all. Wow. So, so Jeremy. Um, so, compared to season two, the first time we actually did a legitimate end of season series. I'm not counting the end of season one because. I already had that idea locked and loaded before we before we decided to 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 redo the show the way it sure. is now. So compared to stage to screen back in season two versus this version. I don't want to say which one was your favorite, but which one. Which end of season series would you say we hit more on? I don't like, know. As far as quality of film. Um, I mean, it's hard not to say the first one was better because we had 12 Angry Men, we had Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Bug, and The Sunset Limited. I mean, um, I listened to part of The Sunset Limited today on Audible. Like, it's, um, it's too good. And, you know, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is just so amazing and so layered and so in your face and amazing tracy letts is one of one of the great playwrights that it's like you know who's even tracy letts and you're like oh well you know bug and august osage county and killer joe i mean these are films that are stories that are incredible uh bug is especially unique and of course 12 anger men's a classic these these were different, but I don't think in a negative way. I, I I do think that they're they're also very unique in their own right because we're dealing with films or stories and plays now and this time that are a little bit more made to be adapted into films. Like Okay. I like I said before, these don't feel as play like I think with this is an exception. I think the whale is is pretty self-contained and you can see it being on the stage. But one flew over, I can't. You know? Yeah. Um and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, maybe, but there's a lot of different locations that it just lends itself to be a film, right? Uh mm-hmm. and doubt I mean doubt is pretty play like, I guess, as well, but it's still it still seems more theatrical. So I don't know. That's how I feel. Yeah. Zach, I mean, were you listening? I mean, back I agree. 
when we did yeah, those? I was. Nice. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, yeah, I agree. Uh, it definitely felt like, it definitely felt like this time around, we were doing, you picked films that almost in a way followed a, a similar theme of, you know, um, Oh my god, I lost I lost the thread. Okay. Uh, similar theme of a sort of ambiguity and um you know overcoming something and, and redemption. Uh except for doubt. Um there's not there's not a redemption arc in doubt, but yeah. definitely overcoming something. As where you know, season two, of course, we were still trying to find our footing. Um, I mean, you you still pick some great films. I mean, of course, I'd, I'm never going to forget Sunset Limited. I mean, it's no, you can't. nobody can. It's God, too good. That was so, <laughs> was so good. Um, yeah, man. You know, I mean, who knows what's going to happen if you decide to do stage to screen act three? I will actually. Uh, there's plenty more. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> plenty more. Um, so yeah, Zach, oh. what'd you think? Did you have fun? This was fun. No, I super yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's uh, it's different than listening, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was fun. It was fun to get to yeah get to work through get to work through the movie with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, well, and we we loved having you on, man. I mean, Definitely. you know, won't be we, the last time we always, it. yeah, we we always love having people on who who share our love of film and can give us fresh perspective. Um, and yeah, uh, so thanks thanks for coming on, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having Definitely. me. I mean, I don't want to hurt y'all's listening like viewership beyond too many times <laughs> and, and not <laughs> not have anybody listening, but or turn that three three minute into a minute and a half. Yeah, I do nah. that was fun. I, I enjoyed, enjoyed. Uh just for you know, a, a spoiler for next season, I do have an episode in mind for you, so um We'll we'll tell you later, but uh, so you'll you'll come back. So okay. Well, I'm looking nice. forward to it. Alrighty. Well, uh, Jeremy, Zach. Yeah. Um, if there's nothing more, uh, we will let everyone go. We hoped you enjoyed our season finale, The Whale, and we're going to see you all in season nine.